0: Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. If you are new to the channel, my name is Jay. I'm an investor looking for the smartest home for my cash. If that's just like you, I think you're gonna like what we do here. Now, my guest today is Dr. Ron Paul, best-selling author, activist, physician, and former politician, congressman, and presidential candidates. Always a crowd favorite, always an absolute pleasure whenever I get the opportunity to speak with Ron Paul. And today was absolutely no exception. We covered a ton of ground as you could expect. We started with RFK's presidential campaign and what Dr. Paul sees as his biggest obstacles. I was very curious as somebody who has ran for president, Dr. Paul is intimately familiar with the gauntlets that every candidate and RFK therefore will have to run and how heavily the media will try to silence and label him along the way fascinating conversation we got into the variety of stages of the american cycle of empire and where dr paul feels that we are today and what people like you and i should be doing in our lives or could be doing in our lives to fortify ourselves against potential chaos as an empire reaches the next stage of maturity not always positive as always there's a piece of uh there's a link beneath this piece of content where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter I fire it off every Sunday to over 40,000 investors. Although I manage a portfolio of cash and startup companies, what I write about isn't managing money. I write about managing my mind, uh, without question, the most important tool in every investor's toolkit I jump into every week. The the nuances of investor biases and heuristics and blind spots and the factors that lead us to our best and worst decisions as investors can make us rich or poor very, very quickly. And that's what I talk about about in my weekly newsletter. I absolutely love writing it and love to have you join the team. Hit that link beneath this piece of content if you'd like to join. But now is Dr. Ron Paul. Enjoy this interview. All right, here I am with Dr. Paul. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, always enjoyable speaking with you, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thank you. Nice to be with you today.
0: Okay, so here's a place where I wanted to start. I'm going to uh, call up a tweet that you sent out recently, and I'd love to get your thoughts on expanding uh, what you wrote, if you don't mind. And and the tweet was. RFK Jr. recently pointed out that America does not have a free market, but rather a crony corporatist system. And then you said, he's right. Americans should beware. Whenever an authoritarian socialist system fails, as it must, blame immediately is put onto the non-existent free market. Expect it. Would you mind expanding on that concept for me a little bit?
1: Well, you know, I, 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 I think it's a wonderful quote uh, from Robert. You know, <clears throat> I was very much aware of politics and all and Kennedy's, you know, back in the 60s. And it was said that uh, Jack Kennedy, you know, didn't like high taxes and he was independent minded. But uh, we always i figured if anybody wants to support him and a little bit of that goes to robert i say oh yeah he's a kennedy though so he's going to be a socialist and to big welfare stuff but what i'm recognizing there is a good way to reach people who have this sympathetic understanding about helping people is that uh, if uh, if you do this uh, uh, approach it differently by talking about corporatism benefits to the corporation. And he's been in a perfect uh, position to do that because his reputation is to uh, not subsidize and work with and be holding to the pharmaceutical company. Of course, that gets him into trouble too, because he wants an independent mindedness about when and who should be taking the vaccine. But uh, I just think that uh, it indicated to me that uh, he's, very open to uh you know at least g- g- going g- going in favor of uh, some free market ideas and you know we know his, his he has a lot of good expressions about civil liberties and foreign policy and uh hasn't heard that much on economic policy but actually i was encouraged by that and will continue to be just on the basic principle that he's an independent thinker and he's open-minded and he actually will talk about issues so that to me was encouraging and that's what prompted me to write that tweet
0: Now, I have to ask you, as a previous presidential candidate, you're familiar with the gauntlet that he's going to have to run uh, during his campaign. And he's done a pretty good job, I don't know if this is intentional or not, at avoiding mainstream media. Maybe they just don't want to have him, I'm not sure. But the podcast industry has covered him greatly, which has been fantastic because he ends up in these longer form, you know, one hour, two hour or three hour conversations where you can really understand his perspectives. But a lot of his perspectives seem like they're coming from an outsider, from a a political standpoint, even though he's a Kennedy, you know, he's spoken uh, very aggressively towards big pharma about the military industrial complex, about government overreach, a lot of concepts that are gonna rub a lot of people in every direction the wrong way. And I have to assume there's gonna be a concerted effort from mainstream media to label him uh, all kinds of negative nefarious conspiracy theorists, whatever whatever you wanna do there. You know, what's the likelihood that he survives that gauntlet from what you've seen in your
1: experience? It's going to be a job. But but I got a real charge out of a poll that did a couple of weeks ago, and they had all the uh, Democratic leaders. They weren't all candidates because there aren't that many. And they went through the leadership and they were just testing generalities of support for and respect for uh, the Democratic leaders. And it turned out that Robert had the most favorable rating and the reporter who was obviously very biased it just seemed like how could this be you know he was so shocked and i thought well maybe it's what he's saying and because uh you know independent thinking people if a person's a constitutionalist or somebody that might not be a warmonger uh they they like a lot of what he's saying and uh i think i think uh I think he's going to survive because I think his his thing that is a challenge is also his great benefit, because, yes, I know the major media will not give him a fair coverage. The parties won't. They're not going to let him. If they can keep him out of debate, they're going to do all this thing to him. But the message is so powerful. If you're telling the truth, you can override those issues. And uh, that's why we're giving him some
0: encouragement. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I I feel similarly optimistic, even though he's sort of been blacklisted by mainstream media, it's almost been to his favor because he ends up avoiding the quick eight minute soundbite style interviews where a reporter just asks a complex question, but wants a binary yes or no answer, which doesn't really exist. And instead he ends up in these long form conversations where he can go very deep into the subject matter um, do you think we're at a transition point, therefore, in terms of media distribution where, you know, independent providers could actually steer the course of this election more so than we've seen in the past? It's, you know, Fox News, M- MSNBC going back and forth about whatever.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. It seems like there's so many different areas. It used to be you had to get all, all your news off three stations and and that was pretty universal. So I I think there's more opportunities and you know the total numbers. I mean a lot of people are still getting it from social media and alternative sources, and I I think it's a great. Another episode that I got a big kick out of was uh, when when he was uh, being interviewed, I guess by Hannity, and uh, Hannity was asking him a question uh, about Ukraine and. Uh, and, and then when, when Robert was getting ahead of him and w- winning the argument about uh, you know sticking with his position, uh, w- the next word, Hannity did not respond at all. The next word was, well, "What about Taiwan? We got to go get Taiwan." He switched subjects so quickly, but uh, so, you know, in general, that's happening in the media right now, uh, and that's why the independent media is so important. Because uh, I worry about the universal uh, direction that the media is turning to is is Taiwan. More money like today. I think uh, it was announced that the uh, executive branch today wants to send more money to Taiwan. It's always looking for an enemy. And they're pretty good at finding them. If If they can't find them automatically, they create them. You know they make aggravate people and they and then they have to you know defend that with more money that's why i'm pessimistic about the uh, level of the budget and the deficit that we have
0: and military spending obviously being at record highs which by the way i don't know if you'd agree with this is pretty consistent with the final innings of an empire you can look at the previous two world powers being you know the dutch empire the dutch guilder the British Empire, the British pound, you know, in the final innings, the final decades of their empire, military spending typically goes through the roof as countries, empires get more militant at retaining their power. Um, Do you see the cycle of the American empire in those final innings right now? Or do you think this is volatility on the road of growth?
1: I think there's a lot of signs. But, you know, I I remember when I read uh, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, I guess the thing that impressed me—it wasn't like there was a battle when it was over. You know, the decline of the civilization, the Roman civilization—it took a long time, hundreds, a couple hundred years before it totally fell fell apart. And so sometimes things take take a while. But I think we live in a time where, with technology and weaponry and all the activity here and all the demagoguing going on, uh, and the instability of the financial system, I think. Uh, It is going to be vulnerable to one or two events, and things will move quickly. I do believe that there will be a time when people are going to panic uh, out, out of the ordinary system, such as the uh, stock market and the bond market. And we've seen signs of that. The the dollar is being downgraded. Of course, some of us have been talking about that for a long time, and they say, "Well, nothing's happening. Nothing. How is it being? It's being debased every day. Uh, you know, they're devaluing the currency. Well, what do you mean? No, it still rates pretty good." on a basket of currencies but the only thing that counts are what the housewife thinks or whoever does the shopping they go and they say you know boy i can't even pay my bills and that's the number i think is very important is people and i I imagine they're fairly accurate true that uh how, how much money do you have in case you lost your job uh and sometimes it's enough for a month or so so there's no real savings. And then if you do have savings, how do you maintain the wealth? You know, what What are you going to do right now? Interest rates are going up. That sort of helps the saver. But I'll tell you what, you never can keep up with the price increases when people destroy a currency. So that, I think, is a major problem.
0: And you're right. And when you You look at the percentage of Americans who are now living paycheck to paycheck, it seems to go up every few years that that percent seems to increase in addition, the number of um, Americans heading towards or in retirement that that absolutely don't have enough to retire on and it's that core demographic that's maybe within five years of retiring that has nowhere near the savings required to retire, coupled with, you know, probably an incoming pension crisis. Do you have any thoughts on that predicament and what may happen as, you know, the population drawing on those pensions is massively larger than the population funding them? I and mean, we're uh, kind of there it's, already.
1: It's going to be part of the calamity that's uh, that's coming. And, you know, one of the most disappointing things I have found over the years at looking at this, because uh I was born in 1935. I remember a little bit about the talk of the Depression of World War II. And saving was very important. And we saved nickels and dimes. And, you know, that was back when a penny had copper in it, you know, that sort of thing. And, and nickel and nickel and silver and silver. So, this, uh, uh, if we made uh, the first job I had, I remember in a drugstore, I made 35 cents an hour, but I was always a saver and I always put it away. and and. You know, you'd make a dollar interest here and a dollar interest there. And on, on uh, birthdays, we could give, uh, you know, a, a, a couple dollars for a birthday present. But now, uh, teaching kids uh, frugality, I, 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 we, my wife and I still try to do that with the grandkids, but we also give them out uh, silver eagles too to try to make the other point. But it's such a shame <clears throat> that being frugal, work hard and make $20 and save five. And, and by the time you want to, uh, before you know it, that $5 you saved is worth about $2. So it's really tough teaching them. And that is why I practice with the family and the kids is, uh, making sure they know what a silver dollar is all about.
0: Hmm. You know, you, you, you brought up some memories of, American history there. And first of all, your first job at a drugstore earning 35 cents an hour. I think that's just an important data point for people to think about, right? When we think about inflation and, you know, and, and a couple of stages of cycles, right? I'm reading right now one of Ray Dalio's books, and he walks through the, the cycles of an empire. Usually begin, you know, a country's beginnings. People are poor and they think of themselves as poor, right? And as the country grows, that the economy's economy strengthens. people may become rich but they still identify as poor and this is a very strong position to be in because as you said what's wrong with making 20 bucks and saving five right that's the value right there Um, credit is low because credit isn't available to uh to countries typically at this stage but eventually countries become rich and think of themselves as rich they overspend they overextend and eventually countries become poor but still think of themselves as rich and I tend to think that's maybe where we are right now, is where we're we're coming out of an age of, of abundance, but still think of ourselves as a wealthy nation, despite the deficit staring us in the face. And so we operate a certain way. We operate like life will always be abundant and the growth trajectory will continue. And I think that's maybe a scenario that's setting people up to become blindsided. Um, what do you think about that?
1: Well, it, it's a problem. And I go always go back to the monetary system. And they mismanage it and create the problems because whether it's the military and our uh, welfare warfare state, we spend way too much money and debt is a big deal. And yet uh, the economists in Washington have been indoctrinated, even though a few of them will complain about it. They've been indoctrinated and say deficits don't matter that much, you know. So we can handle it uh, as long as uh, as long as we can make things move, you know, you know, reasonably well. We don't have to worry about it. But one of the craziest ideas when when the people start to recognize and and the monetary authorities have to do something, they say, well, we want when it, when the uh, interest rates or when the economic growth, so called, is uh, low, they say, well, we need to get the inflation. Because inflation of prices is an indication to them that's a healthier economy. So when it was nothing, and uh, they, they said, We have to get the inflation rate, right. uh, the price increases up to 2%. And of course, when it hit 2%, it was up to 9%. And so what do they have to do? They worry then about prices going up because it's eating away the savings, and the people are getting upset. The people are demanding more money to pay for their higher, higher bills. And then I think, Well, why don't you take, uh, what, what they'll probably do is raise interest rates to 10 or 15% and uh, that'll go up much, much faster than the cost of living It further cause more problems and ruin the economy. It is so far removed from a market economy and sound money uh, it's such a shame, and that's why I spend a, a lot of time at least I make an effort at it to try to get young people to understand true economics and uh, that that is that is a big problem because we're contesting the uh, whole government school system, and that means that probably eighty five percent of the people or maybe even higher, they go through the government schools and they get indoctrinated with all this nonsense about spending and why it's good and why we have an empire to protect for national security purposes. So it's a whole philosophic system that we have to address. And uh, if not uh, what we have now, is going to get much worse. But I think it's good that people are starting to recognize what's happening. Maybe they will be motivated to look into this. And I think that's the reason that people uh, are paying attention to the alternative media and to social media, and they're all looking for the right answers. And I think that's good. It's also one of the reasons why I have a homeschool curriculum.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And, you know, I I, I do feel like this knowledge base is growing, Dr. Paul, largely on on the back of, you know, a lifetime of work. By yourself, and and today, you know, platforms like mine, you know, may reach a million people each month, and I'm one of thousands that are having these conversations. And so, obviously, all that tells me is there's a really big appetite to figure out what's going on and try to understand. And I want to dive into, you know, your comment in a minute here. You said I, I you know, I endeavor to help people understand true economics, and I want to sort of pick that apart and what that means to you, and share that message with my audience today. Before I get there, one last final question on, on the cycle of the American empire, because um, the biggest pushback to the decline of the dollar or the decline of the, decal- the dollar losing its reserve currency power, all this, is that what's going to replace it, right? And that's often the response I get is like, oh, but there's nothing ready to replace it, right? I, I want to put that question to you. You know, What could occur next in, in a situation where the US empire declines, reserve currency loses some power? You know, what's the next step in our history?
1: Well, under today's condition, if something sudden comes up to precipitate it much sooner than I think it's going to happen, it's going to be an utter tragedy because that's when the violence is going to break out because there's too many people who are, who are convinced that it's the government's responsibility to take care of it. Even if there's a viral breakout, they have to convince the people it's a lot worse than a cold virus and therefore we want to... Put on and test some of our dictatorial uh, arguments, and have lockdowns and do all these other other things that they do. But uh, I I think that, uh, that it's going to be very very difficult. And of course, the thing that bothers me the most is the violence. But one of the first things they did when the COVID Hit uh, or when it was told it was hitting was money. Just think of what they've done in these last four or five years on the creation of money. What's happened to debt? What's happened to the mo- <laughs> to the uh, monetary base and the balance sheet is skyrocketing, and it hasn't. I don't think it's been barely discounted into the marketplace yet. I think people say, "Oh, it's over. It's going to do be it better. We're about to have a soft landing." I think we uh, probably have only touched some of that money out there circulating. For instance, if I just looked at one commodity and I don't follow details and know all the facts that are involved, but I would think like something like oil, up to a hundred dollars, that goes down to 60, 70, and it's creeping up again. I think oil prices are on their way back up. I think we were gonna have a lot of that price inflation. And what do the people want? They say, I don't have any money because my prices are going up my rents going up uh, and all this and I, I get a pay raise but it's not enough so what do they have what do they do they need more money and believe me guess who's supported there's two two groups that will support get more money to the people Republicans and Democrats you know it's just not it's the Democrats are bad, but uh, Republicans do it too. The Republicans are probably more loyal to the military-industrial complex. But now even the Democrats are becoming uh, challenging up to spending all that money in the military, and they have been taught that's how you get out of depressions. That's what Roosevelt did. He got us into war, and that's when the depression finally ended. That's a bunch of nonsense.
0: Yeah, that's actually a large misconception that I'd love you to expand on, is that war is a productive endeavor. Um, and on the surface, you could maybe make that argument that it stimulates the economy, but it's not necessarily productive because of the destructive nature of it. But when you hear somebody say that, for example, that World War II got us out of the Depression, right? What? How would you explain to somebody the faults in that argument? Well, I, would, uh, I
1: make fun of it because I say... Yes, you put a couple million people in a uniform and uh, they become employed and we send them off to war zones that we could well have avoided and, and they uh, get wounded and get killed uh, and unemployment rates go down. And uh, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit more savings, but it's always temporary. Uh, and then when the war ends. Oh, there's a boom again. It was all this war brought us all this prosperity. it's it's total nonsense you You can't, uh, and even now, it's probably a little easier to make the argument because you know, you know when uh, World War II broke out, I mean, it was not too difficult to get the people behind that because uh, of the attack on us. but uh, they they can't uh, they can't create wealth by blowing it up in bombs that we cannot create wealth by. Uh, even though they say it's uh, was 896 billion in a DOD, uh, <clears throat> and we don't even know what the final number will be, but it's it's over a trillion dollars. And if you talk about the interest paid on it, it's just astronomical. So that that is that is I think the the, the big issue, and what it precipitates is, uh, you know, we don't have enough money. They go to government, and the politicians might know better. But how do you stand up to your constituents and say, no, I can't send you any more money. Wouldn't do you any good. You'd blow it. So they they print they run up more debt and they print more money, making the problems worse. That's why I don't think uh, uh, we have time to educate enough people to get them into Congress to systematically handle the problem we have. We're going to see a bust. And then what we hope we have are enough people around that know how to help rebuild what we destroyed.
0: Okay, I thank you for that. Um, and I want to switch directions now a little bit and and ask you about your political philosophy. And I want to ask this question from the perspective of some of my younger viewers. I've got a lot of viewers that are, you know, under 30 years old trying to make sense of 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 the political landscape and and understand how they think about things. Um and I think that's maybe tougher today than it was when I was in my early 20s, uh, simply because of how the landscape is shifting. And what I mean by that is I've always considered myself sort of a, I don't know, maybe a centrist when it comes to a lot of the, the strong political arguments. But I don't feel like I've changed much, except people these days would often label me, you know, on the, the far side of conservative. And I'm like, I haven't changed. My beliefs are the same, right? But the landscape has changed dramatically. How would you explain your political philosophy and what motivates you, Dr. Paul?
1: Well, it's all based around uh, the understanding of individual liberty and not by groups. and i I want government to be as close to home as possible. I think you know, the real government should be in the family and the disciplines, or local communities, or local states. But I don't like uh, us violating the Constitution and making so much government. Government is a nemesis. And uh, so we defer to them because they're always gonna take care of us and we people and the people get by, by into that. But they, uh, uh, not only do they stop with the federal government, then they have all this international stuff going on and that all undermines personal liberty. And the other thing that has happened is you can't think of, everybody wants to live in a free society, but there's too many people, you know, are taking advantage of it. Therefore, we have to protect them. So, everybody has to have a group that they're going to protect themselves from. Now, liberty is individual. And uh, if you think you're going to get liberty given to you by the government, they have to take it from somebody else. They don't realize there's a cost to it. But uh, I think histor- history helps us because the uh, history shows that. The freer a country, and the more respect for law and order, the more wealth there is, and the less, uh, and the less injustices there are, and that is a more, greater effort to bring about peace. And We had a lot of those talents over the years, but I think in the hundred past hundred years or so, it's been undermined by the progressive movement and more recently by the woke movement which has uh, been so disastrous because of, of that type of takeover. And uh, I, I, think, I think what has happened and, uh, and to really preserve what I think is good, people have to have an understanding about a higher law, a higher law, a higher law than a government law. I, I you know, really like the things that, that Bastiat wrote in the law and, and he makes it very simple. Uh, you know, this higher law on how to treat people. You can't steal and rob and kill people. But his main thing was, if people, can, most people still believe that, even under the terrible situation we have, most of our neighbors are still pretty good neighbors. They know they had, do not have a right when they're hungry to walk in your house and start taking food out of their, your refrigerator. <laughs> but most of them accept the principle that if I donate to my congressman and send my congressman there he has three cars i don't have any get me one of those cars it has to be equitable we have to you know sort sort this all out and that is <clears throat> that principle is that you, we should be following if you can't do it as an individual, you can't send some thug from the government to take it from them. And that's what government does. And they do it It's a redistribution of wealth. They actually enslave people through, uh, through the monetary system and through the tax system. It's based on the uh, principle that the government owns everything you earn. If you, owe, if you earn $10,000 last year, it's yours. You should spend it the way you want. But no, it belongs to the government, and you have to plan uh, uh, to pay your taxes, plan for the future, and uh, it it uh, it it's 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 theft to, to do that. And there was a time we didn't have that thing. So. People, I, I, I'm leading up to the fact that I think it's a moral issue uh, than, than anything else, but it's a, it's a principle on liber- liberty that is moral, that you can't do harm to other people. And the basic rule is that you can't initiate violence. If you want people to get along and have a peaceful society and, and, and a prosperous society, uh, there's just one couple rules. One would be everything is voluntary. Voluntary arrangements between two people. You know, most people understand that about religion and maybe in sexual function. Voluntary would be the best. And, uh, but but then they get off on tangents and they start using force and writing too many laws. And then in economics, this exploded because there's never a fair distribution, which a fair distribution to them is perfect equality for everybody, which is disastrous. And then they go and apply that this, this idea of non-voluntarism for people to get empires. And right now we're seeing the unwinding of that attitude because we've been building on our empire for a long time, especially since World War II. And it's, it's unwinding. Voluntarism is a good rule to follow.
0: So what can people do who resonate with what you've just said? They resonate with your message and they want to... Achieve more sovereignty in their personal life. Let's say they live in California, uh, they live in Texas, they live in the United States, or in Canada. I'm up in Canada. Things are very similar up here. Um, if you're but raising a young family right now, you know, would you stay in America or would you go somewhere else?
1: Uh, it's an individual decision. I've decided I have too many grandkids. I'm not leaving. <laughs> All <laughs> I right, I will help them. But I think some people are, uh, you know, want to do it. and They should, it's up to them. It's voluntary, do whatever they want. Just don't hurt people and don't use, uh, you know, any theft and and uh, lying and forced to do these things. So it's uh, something that uh, uh, w- would be helpful, but I still think education is important. I think people should understand what a moral economic system is like. The constitution is pretty good on that. And, but there's greater wisdom today about monetary policy and markets uh, in a, in a favorable sense of protecting the free market uh, now than there was even when the founders wrote the Constitution. So I, I get people need to understand that. But I think young people, you know, I think most people are starting to realize, uh, although I couldn't do it uh, uh, even now or back then, and that is uh, avoid uh, over education and government government schools. And sometimes people, uh, you know, I was kidding the other day about half serious. I said, you know, if I could do medicine, I said, you know what I'd have done, I'd have gone and I would have found some friendly uh, plumber and see if I could become a plumber, plumber's helper and really learn the trade. You no, know, trades are very important for survival purposes. Because if another person a few years back, uh, was trying to work this out. And, I, and he, wasn't, he wasn't the candidate for going to college. Uh, but I encouraged him to go and uh, learn how to uh, work on diesel engines. And he's doing pretty well. But, but repair work, carpentry work, plumbing, all these things are so important. And then uh, there's a lot of opportunity, but it should be what the person likes to do you know, uh, and, and to be able to take care of themselves. Financially, I'm a strong believer uh, as long as we are allowed to own property, to have, protect with ownership of property, you know, uh, people should be able to own their houses instead of just borrowing more and more money. You can, it's, it's uh, one of these things that uh, you could you just borrow borrow into bankruptcy is what happened. So I think it's uh, a lot, a lot of things that people can do. But I think the thing of it is, if you're making money, even if they're in Federal Reserve notes, a certain portion of it ought to be made uh, with the assumption that is is destined to undermine uh, the value of that currency. 1971, when they closed the Brenton, down the Bretton Wood system and eliminated the last link to gold, gold was $35 an ounce. And even though some of us were looking and finding ways to get along, get around the law that said you couldn't even own gold. You could buy silver and things like that. But uh, I think you could, you should still do that because even though it seems like, well, the prices are too high, silver is uh, uh, 23 dollars and gold is up two thousand dollars I know but if it was at if it's at two thousand dollars it's nothing that says that it might not someday if we can hold our system together uh being the point of being so deep devalued that it could be ten thousand dollars you have to have something of real value and the universal item protecting uh real value in, in monetary affairs has been uh has been the precious metals
0: mm-hmm you know, and and that's something my audience is very up to speed with, I would say, you know, we cover the precious metal sector a lot. Um, I still feel very niche. And the fact that I hold a lot of my savings, not all, but a decent chunk of my savings in physical metal raises a lot of eyebrows from friends of mine who don't get it. And they're like, what are you doing? What kind of apocalypse are you preparing for? And to me, it, it's just it's like simplistic. It's I'm not conspiracy theorist. I'm just I'm a simplicity bug, and it's the one asset that's maintained its purchasing power during the rise and fall of hundreds of empires. Um, but it's still a foreign asset and a confusing one to a lot of folks. A lot of folks. I'd love to get your comments on that. Actually, um, for someone who has no experience investing in gold, if you were to simplify the narrative around why maybe dripping a little bit of your savings into gold each quarter, each month, each year is a smart idea.
1: Yeah, I it's gonna be an individual thing. I think it'd be, if a person is just really having a tough time and young and not uh, established yet to say, go buy gold, go buy gold, well, that's not very practical. Uh, but uh, when, uh, when these discoveries were made in the early 70s, we weren't even allowed to do that. But uh, you, we could still find silver uh, coins in, in, uh, in the banks, you know, they were still circulating, uh, you know, for a few more years. And even today, like I said, I buy silver coins for my grandkids and give them to them. And uh, one, of the, one of the coins that I like for people who are just wondering what to do is the Silver Eagle uh there's arguments against it but I like the idea that it's uh, right now it's universal it's the most used coin and people are going to recognize it and uh it's it's something that uh you you know you, know, you can depend on the government to continue to do what they're doing and, uh, until you see that the uh annual deficit is not going up anymore it's going down, you have to maybe reconsider, but you don't have to worry about that. (laughs) They're they're not going to quit spending because the pain and suffering is so great that there'd be a revolution, but the revolution is coming anyway. Uh, If we could do that, we'd avoid a lot of violence, but I think eventually it's going to be very, very bad because, uh, you know, our judicial system is a wreck. Governments don't follow the rules. Uh, nobody in Congress really are. No, 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 nobody is the wrong word. There are very few in the Congress who really take their oath of office seriously, and they don't even understand what it means. It, they've been taught that uh, it has to change with the times. You know, you, you can't be, have an overly rigid document, and this uh, this nonsense of amending a Constitution that, that is so so old fashioned. That uh, uh, they don't want to deal with it when when the Iraq war was breaking out, and they were going to vote to just give authority to the president, but they weren't going to declare war. it was just a perpetual war which was, which did happen. You know, I offered an amendment to declare war, uh, and uh, I was on a, and I was in the committee. I told him, I said, I'm not going to vote for it. I said, I was just, you're the guys that want the war, so you ought to up and down and vote for the war if that's what you believed in. And I was lectured by the whole crowd that we don't follow that part of the Constitution anymore. That's anachronistic. And I always thought, boy, that tells you a lot. It is true. But the whole Constitution, unfortunately, is anachronistic for most of the members of Congress.
0: No doubt. Look, I I know you have to run. I I really want to thank you for your time for coming on my show and all the other shows that you do. You know, every time you sit down with a podcaster, you help perpetuate the message and extend the the lifetime of of all the work that you've done. And I want to point people to RonPaulInstitute.org where where you'll find Dr. Paul's weekly column and much, much more. Um, Thanks again, Dr. Paul. I really do appreciate it.
1: Very good. Great to be with you.
0: If you enjoy my content, do me a favor.